0: Blaze Radio Network. And now the Rabbi Daniel Lappen Show. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lapin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, Happy Warriors. Welcome to the community of happy warriors. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappen Show where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Appen Show. You happy warriors, you heroic men going to work early every morning, regardless of whether you feel like it. You discipline yourself, you improve yourself, watch over your spouse and your children if you have them, and you take care of business, generating cash flow, and doing what your head tells you to do, when your head tells you it must be done. You happy warriors who ignore your heart's desire to indulge the body's seductive whisper, instead you boldly heed the clarion call of responsibility to those whom you are strong enough to support and brave enough to care for. You are the noble knights defending the fortress of civilization against the hungry hordes of scheming and surging savages trying to invade and conquer what you and your fathers have built. The barbarians know that even after they destroy the civilization you built and as they wretchedly crawl through its wrecked ruins – They will live better there than in anything they could ever have built themselves. Only you stand between the nightmare of socialistic slavery and the bright hope of tomorrow. And you beautiful and brave women resisting government's treacherous proposal to marry it rather than accepting a golden ring from one clear-eyed man— Dreaming of a Shared Tomorrow. You beautiful and courageous women who smilingly and graciously carry the load of work, family, marriage, inspiring your man to greatness and nurturing your young ones to moral maturity as well as physical maturity. Yes, all you men and women, you happy warriors who do all this and have been doing all of this, yes, You are the natural audience of this, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. You are the audience that I devotedly serve, recognizing that every day that I can bring you the helpful, life-affirming insights of ancient Jewish wisdom, well, that's another day of privilege for me. Because you are not a tennis ball floating down the gutter of life. You have your firm hand on the steering wheel of your life. As William Ernest Henley's great poem Invictus ends, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Because you are not tennis balls floating down the gutter of life, no. It's my honor to serve you all and my delight to welcome you to another episode of the Rabbi Daniel Lappen Show, where I, your Rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Yes, that's right. This is the only show in the entire digital universe that reveals how the world really works. This is the only show in the world which offers you calisthenics for the contemplative and strenuous stretching for the soul. I will stand beside you as you attempt speculative somersaults of the spirit. This is how the world really works. And, uh, you know, in um, 1959, a man called C.P. Snow, um, he was an English novelist, and um, he wrote some really nice things. I mean... He wrote a, uh, I think his first book was a a sort of mystery, murder mystery, uh, called Murder Under, Death Under Sale, I think it was called. Um, Yeah, I think so. Anyway, C.P. Snow, or Charles Percy Snow. Well, don't laugh, he was English. And uh, he wrote a book um, called The Two Cultures and the Scientific Revolution. That was in nineteen fifty nine or maybe nineteen sixty and um and what he was decrying was the fact that uh, the sciences and the arts were two completely separate worlds, and there was no real connection between them at all. and um what what he was what he was trying to say was that um, information tends to exist in silos, you know, upward buildings. And so information, if you start looking for information on, uh, uh, on you know, making steel, well, you start off at the bottom and you get more information and more information and more information on top of that. And then you have this long, big, tall, narrow silo with all the information on making steel. So, Uh, For instance, physicists discuss forces and they discuss natural phenomena. Uh, They might look at objects as big as railway locomotives uh, all the way down to objects like atoms. But they would know close to, most of them, would know close to nothing about William Shakespeare. And on the other hand, people in the arts might know something of English literature, although if they're attending an American university at the moment, that's a tall order and a long shot, but at least in theory, people in the arts know a little bit about English literature, but they know almost nothing about the second law of thermodynamics. They don't even know about the first law of thermodynamics, do they? Conservation of energy, and then the second law of thermodynamics about entropy. No, People who are in the arts know absolutely nothing about that. And it's important to know that our world tends to be run by information people. Um, for, uh, for instance, let me, let me speak about a, uh, a repugnant little troglodyte called Anthony Fauci, uh, in charge of public health in the United States of America. He possibly knows some information about viruses and about public health, but he certainly knows absolutely nothing about economics and he knows nothing about the psychological consequences of loneliness and nothing about the um, mental stress uh, as a result of financial pressures. Information tends to be about gathering data and organizing it within disciplines. Uh, for, for several decades already, probably since the uh, mid to late 60s, early 70s, we've been living in what is usually described as the age of information. And this means that data, information, is available to anyone, anytime, from almost anywhere, On any topic. Now, here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, you've heard me speak about the fact that my mission is to make ancient Jewish wisdom accessible to you, and ancient Jewish wisdom certainly celebrates the availability of information and it celebrates the value of information. However, it promotes wisdom as an absolutely indispensable adjunct to information information is limited and it's within a particular discipline as i explained people who have information on literature do not have information on physics People who have information on biology generally uh, do not have information on um, construction of, of uh, buildings. Information exists in tall silos. Information is mostly about gathering data and processing it and organizing it within the discipline. But wisdom is about integrating information and achieving harmony and unity. Information builds these tall towers in which, in which one can ride up and down in elevators. You can go down to the bottom floor and learn about the, the basics of chemistry, and then you can ride the elevator up and you can learn more chemistry and ride it all the way up to the cutting edge of current chemical knowledge and that's what you do but uh, wisdom is what allows us to move between these towers of information one reason that the ceo gets paid serious money or should is because he listens to advice from information people He listens to advice from his legal people, he listens to information from his marketing people, he listens to information from his finance and accounting people, he listens to information from his human resources people, and he listens to information from his manufacturing and his logistics people. But then the CEO has to arrive at a lonely decision with which few of his advisors will necessarily agree. For a virus specialist confronting a pandemic, a shutdown makes all the sense in the world. An economist, a psychologist, and a national security specialist might all give different advice than shutting down. Information leads to specialization. Wisdom leads to integration. Now, uh, it so happens that uh, part of wisdom is knowledge of God and an awareness of a spiritual reality. It's it's not an accident that uh, the book of Proverbs in chapter 9 verse 10 says, The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, and knowledge of him is understanding. Yeah, that's true because so much of life is spiritual so many of the decisions we make even in something mundane like the purchases we make and how we spend our money is also rooted in spiritual reality these are things that are clearly evident to anybody who stops to really think about some of these things and and tries to analyze them. So what we try and do here on this show is not so much give you information, because it's so easily available. That's why it is that uh, sometimes people write to me and say, "Uh, you quoted a certain statistic, could you give me the source for it? And the answer is no. No, I don't have time for that. I'm really sorry. You have to forgive me. You have access to the exactly the same sources as I do. You have the internet. You've got a computer. You've got different search mechanisms. Just go and look for it yourself. It's really there. Information is easily available to anybody who wants to get it. Wisdom, that's a lot harder. And I should also mention, that be careful not to, again, I'm trying to give you tools here to help you function more effectively and to grow your five F's, your faith, your families, your finances, your friendships, and your fitness, to be able to do better with all those things, but you you need to understand for those things, and you need a measure of wisdom. Please do not conflate wisdom wisdom with virtue. Okay. Being uh, uh, wise means you really understand how the world works. You can take information from one place and different information from somewhere else, and uh, you can say, hey, you know what, that, that that's interesting. That goes together, um, and and there are many examples of that, where uh, uh, somebody took steel and said, you know, this is interesting stuff, and he took concrete and he said well that's interesting stuff why don't we try and combine them and get the tensile strength of steel and the compressive strength of concrete in one product now that was an act of wisdom Um, as far as intelligence goes by the way let me just deal with that quite quickly i don't uh, talk much about intelligence because number one it's not the most important thing number two it is um Uh, how shall shall I put it? It's immutable. Um, Intelligence is your speed of processing. (laughs) It's the computer equivalent of uh, the processor speed. How quickly are you able to assimilate information? And um, it has application, by the way, even in things like driving a car. Uh, If you're a high intelligent person, uh, you are probably more able to get out of tricky situations because you process the information more quickly than somebody who has less intelligence and so you see a car coming in a certain direction and there's other you know you make a snap decision and if you're an intelligent uh, person then you've got a better chance of that snap decision being correct because you probably processed more information about you know oncoming traffic and the what's around you and what's next to you, uh, uh, intelligence definitely needed for flying airplanes, because there's a lot of information coming at you all the time. Uh, intelligence is immutable for the most part uh, within a person's life. After you you've become mature, your intelligence is pretty much what you inherited from your parents. Now. There is such a thing as intelligence change over generations. So in other words, if, uh, if, if you live a decrepit life, okay, and, uh, and then after you, your child lives a decrepit life, By the time we come to the third generation, the uh, IQ is probably quite substantially below what it was in the family uh, two or three generations earlier. So that does happen. But um, bottom line, uh, I don't speak about intelligence very much. It's also very unpopular right now. There's all kinds of nonsense being spoken. Oh, intelligence isn't real. IQ measures nothing. Um, Please don't believe this. Recognize... This as one of the um, things going on in the Zeitgeist today, which I'll explain, and uh, and there are reasons why the uh, culture doesn't want to speak about intelligence at all, and so IQ is pretty much um, you know off the table. But it's not relevant to our conversation uh, because there's nothing you can do about it anyway. But now information and wisdom. Are important because yes you can obviously increase the amount of information you possess and yes amazingly enough you can be a wise person but as I said don't conflate being wise with being virtuous right there are people who are wise but certainly we're not particularly virtuous um, Nicolai Machiavelli. Have you ever heard of that Italian uh, politician or diplomat from the uh, early 1500s? Machiavellian. It's an adjective. Uh, he was, seems to have been quite a wise guy. He wrote a book called The Prince, uh, but certainly not a virtuous or good guy. Um, and we've had, we've had politicians in America that haven't been particularly educated, but were wise. Harry Truman was one. Um, on the opposite front, Woodrow Wilson, very educated, no wisdom at all. Uh, you have people who are virtuous and wise. You have people who are not virtuous and wise. So these are different qualities. Do not conflate them. Get used to understanding what uh, what each one is and what each one means, because we have a lot to understand in terms of how the world works, how the world really works, what's going on in in your neighborhood, in your society, in your culture right now, and how can you best operate within that environment to the betterment of the five key functions of your life. That's what we're working on. Now, Uh, We have a resource. It's a one hour audio program you can download right away after you finish listening to this show today. And um, it is an hour's worth of solid wisdom. Let me tell you a little bit about how it works. Uh, It's an audio program called Let Me Go. Now, if you look at the packaging, which you'll see on the website at com under the store, and you'll listen to, look at CDs, uh, it says, let my people go, which was a phrase uttered by Moses in Egypt. But uh, on the packaging, the words my people is, uh, is scratched out, and the word me is substituted. So it's let me go and uh, what the subtitle is, How to Overcome Life's Challenges and Escape Your Own Egypt. And this is a really terrific example of how ancient Jewish wisdom uh, provides from the Bible not so much information, but wisdom. Because getting out of fixes, if you're in a fix, If you're in a situation right now where somehow or another things are stopping you from reaching what you believe to be your God-given destiny, whatever it is, you know, um, you need to get out of that. And what ancient Jewish wisdom does with the book of Exodus is so beautiful and so elegant and so effective at providing uh, wisdom for life in that it shows, look, uh, there was no reason to spend 12 or 13 or 14 chapters in Exodus describing how the Israelites came out of Egypt. Could have just said, um, you know, the Lord performed miracles, and with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm, he helped Moses take the Israelites out of Egypt with many miracles along the way. And for those of you without a life who really want every single little detail, there's an appendix at the back of this book. You can go and read it there. But for now, let's get on with the narrative. But that's not what the Bible does. The Bible does take more than 12 chapters to explain the whole Exodus. Why? Right? You don't need it. You'd say, who cares? This was a once-in-human-history event. Why do we need all the details? Because every detail presented in the book of Exodus serves two functions. Number one, it says what happened back then, 3,300 years ago. But more importantly, it tells you how you can get out of your Egypt. Your Egypt? What's your Egypt? Well, it's very simple. Your Egypt, and by the way, the Hebrew word for Egypt is not just the name of a country. The Hebrew name for Egypt, Mitzrayim, means um, hindrance. It means a straitjacket. It means something that obstructs you from reaching where you need to reach. And now you know what your Egypt is. And even though you and I have never met, and even though I do not know intimate details of your life there's one thing i do know and that is you do have your egypt because we all do you do have something that is obstructing you from reaching what god has planned for your destiny what is it well that i don't know only you know yours i know mine but you know yours you know, um, is it uh, uh, financial stress, shortage of money? That might be. Uh, is it perhaps marriage or family pressures, uh, health problems? Um, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's uh, uh, a, an alcohol addiction. Well, that that could certainly be obstructing you from reaching your destiny. That would be your Egypt or a drug addiction, or a pornography addiction, or a uh, or any kind of a gambling addiction. All of these things can be your Egypt. And getting out of Egypt is not a case of information. It's a case of wisdom. And uh, unfortunately, today, we live in an age of information. And that means that we worship specialists experts scientists no you know to head a family or to head a company or to head a country you don't need to be possessed of a lot of information that was woodrow wilson in the united states because information is really easy to get hold of you need to have wisdom and um I, I think it is without doubt in my mind that the present president of the United States of America uh, is a man with neither information nor wisdom, and the country is paying the price. Inflation is tearing the country apart. Inflation is, means that there's no point in saving. You should just go out and spend. Inflation means that the price of everything is going up. And the response by the administration, the response in the United States by the the White House is, oh, we just need to tamper with monetary policy. We have to raise the interest rates. No. This inflation in America is caused by only one thing, and that is that for well over a year already, the United States government has been engaged in multi-trillion dollar subsidies for personal consumption. They've been handing out money, which people have been spending. That is what's causing inflation. There's no question about it. I mean, this is really simple and straightforward. And uh, to to run a country or to run a society, you need wisdom much more than you need information. But uh, wisdom, of course is a lot harder to come by. You know, if you want to build a uh, bridge or a boat or a building or an aircraft, all you need is information. And that's why it is that almost without exception, buildings stand, bridges stand, boats float, and airplanes fly. All of them, right? You don't go and buy a uh, a building, and the the uh, construction engineer says, uh, "Okay, look, you know you should be good for a few years. I'd say you got a ninety-five percent chance of so the building standing." No, nobody does that, because when things are information based, they are relatively easy to deal with. But um, think about building a business, and think about building a marriage and a family. What is the success rate here? A whole lot lower than the success rate for buildings and bridges and and airplanes and boats where it's nearly a hundred percent success. But for businesses, you start building a business, unfortunately, very not not a majority of them make it. You want to build a marriage, you wanna build a family. Not all of them make it. And the answer is because building a business requires Wisdom and building a family and a marriage require wisdom. You can't figure out how to run your family from the latest issue of psychology today. Because in all events, it probably contradicts what the same magazine said in an earlier issue 10 years ago. No. Wisdom is unchanging. Information changes. And so for uh, recognizing the fact that in order to get ourselves out of whatever fixes we're in, whatever it is that is stopping us and holding us back, what you need is wisdom, not information. And wisdom for particularly getting out of your Egypt, whatever your Egypt is, Um, is available for a very low price, um, and it's called Let Me Go, How to Overcome Life's Challenges and How to Escape Your Own Egypt. So go to the website, rabbidaniellappin.com, go to the store, look at the description below, and you will have Uh, the um, audio program, which you will listen to, not once, not twice, but at least three times. Maybe you'll listen to it together with somebody important in your life. And all of a sudden, you suddenly find that infusing your soul is the wisdom necessary to make serious changes in life. And that's true. Life changes come about through wisdom not just about through information everybody can get hold of information but not everybody brings about serious changes in their lives that happens because you acquire wisdom and this show is about not providing you with information because i know you can get that it's about helping you grow your wisdom that's what makes all the difference you know how different words sometimes come from different languages, uh, because the cultures of those different languages sometimes just have a better grasp of certain ideas. So for instance, uh, so for instance, uh, there's a Jewish word "mensch," means a decent, upright guy. And uh, it's a word that's that's borrowed by, by many other cultures, and you'll you'll find people using it, or the um, Hebrew word chutzpah, meaning uh, unimaginable impertinence, you know, outrageous impudence with a sort of roguish charm to it. Um, so again, that's a word that people use, even though they may not be uh, Hebrew speakers or Jewish. Uh, German is a language which also has words that just don't exist in English. One of those words is zeitgeist, usually spelled Z-E-I-T-G-E-I-S-T, uh, zeitgeist, or zeitgeist, and what it literally means is ghost of the times. I think the, uh, the German novelist and poet Johann Goethe was the first one. I think he was the one who used it and it's, it's a, or coined it, maybe. And it's a terrific word. Um, you know, what, what does zeitgeist mean? Well, it's the defining spirit of the particular period we're looking at or, or the defining mood of the times. Um, it's when you, when you look at the ideas and beliefs that are popular at a given time, they become the sort of zeitgeist. Uh, the word Geist in German literally means a ghost. And you can even hear how as English grew and evolved out of old high German, Geist turned into ghost. GST are the root letters. But uh, the ghost of the times is, is, is probably a really good uh, way of defining it because Zeitgeist means an invisible agent or, or an invisible unseen force that somehow dominates the the era uh it's it's the spirit of the age do you fo- do you follow what i'm saying so uh, for instance right now um the, the 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 zeitgeist is um is is materialistic and the zeitgeist is that um Anything that is not materialistic is frowned upon. And so since we are nothing but livestock belonging to the government, locking us down for COVID made perfect sense because what else matters? Right? Who cares about our ability to connect with our family? You'll notice that uh, little by little over the last few deca- decades, as the zeitgeist has grown to become incredibly anti-family. Why? Because family is spiritual. As I said earlier, building a family ca- takes wisdom, because wisdom is more spiritual. Information is material. And so an attempt to undermine family absolutely suffuses the uh, the zeitgeist of our times, um, the uh, there's a, a taxation penalty for being married. It used to be a taxation advantage for being married. Uh, nobody dared interfere with how parents wanted their children to be raised and educated. Today, it's popular in the educational bureaucracy for people to say that uh, parents are not the ones who determine what children should be taught; it should be left to professional educators, experts. That is the voice of materialism that is the zeitgeist in which we now live and i want to open your eyes to a key part of the zeitgeist it's one that i'm sure that you have noticed or perhaps you've been subconsciously aware of it but uh, i want to make it very central in your awareness because it directly impacts how successfully you are able to move your life forward in terms of escalating the effectiveness of your 5 F's, your fitness, your finances, your family, your friends, and your faith. And this topic is the topic of free will. Now this should not really be controversial but it is terribly controversial and free will is a debate raging in the culture at the moment it is front and center of the zeitgeist there are here are the two sides uh, one side of the free will debate says that we are the products of random, materialistic, unaided evolution. And as such, we are animals. We might be different from many other animals. We're slower runners than some. We're faster than tortoises. Uh, we have, you know, less hair on us than um than some animals, but more hair than others. And we're just another classification of, an, of, of the animal life of the planet. As such, we have no more free will than animals do. Does, uh, does a wolf uh, have any moral choice when it comes across a lamb that has escaped the farmer's flock of sheep? No, if he's hungry, he eats the lamb. That's all there is to it. There is no such thing as a wolf, analyzing whether it belongs to him. Should he eat this lamb? Maybe the lamb's mother will be worried. No, that's not how animals work. Animals work on instinct. That's all there is to it. And similarly, when the farmer discovers that a wolf ate his sheep, he doesn't convene a multidisciplinary symposium to discuss the growing aggressiveness of sheep? No, he takes his rifle and he goes wolf hunting, that's all. Or maybe he builds a bigger fence. But he recognizes that it's up to him to solve the problem. Well, at any rate, the wrong side of the free will debate argues that uh, we are just like animals in the sense that it is wrong to think that we have any free will at all. We, too, have instincts, and it is for this reason that uh, there is so much reluctance in today's zeitgeist to deal effectively with crime, because so much headway has this viewpoint on free will made in our societies that... People with the responsibility of making decisions that will impact literally on the safety of law-abiding citizens walking in the streets, people with the responsibility to make those decisions have already decided that free will is not a factor in the human beings. And therefore, it all makes sense that certain people have this instinct to commit crime. It's maybe because they were... Poor or because they didn't have advantages or it's because of racism or it's because of capitalism, or whatever it is, in the same way we might say, well, it was uh, growing hunger in the neighborhood that caused the wolf to to seize the lamb because normally the wolves live on eating uh, rabbits, wild rabbits, but now because of these things going on there hasn't been rain and so there haven't been a lot of Food for rabbits, and there've not been so many rabbits, and so the wolf has to eat the lamb. This is what you say if you believe there is no free will, which for animals there is not and uh, and so, yes, crime is is just something that inevitably happens. Um, I remember when I was first shown an article on uh, infidelity being instinctive for men that's right men you know do you think you have a choice when it comes to betraying your marriage vows no it's part of your instincts (laughs) that's that's how this all works my friends and this is why the belief is that today uh, there's this explosion in categorizations of uh, mental problems So much so that the latest copy of the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the Mental Health Profession, why it's huge. Um, It's like it's bigger than the old Manhattan Telephone Directory, which was a a big book in the old days when there were those kinds of phones. And, And that's because all of the problems can all be tackled organically. We can just get the right tablet or the right pill or the right piece of information to share with the individual. Everything can be solved that way. Uh, The field of wisdom says, no, wait a second, there is such a thing as free choice, free will. And uh, there is such a thing as being spiritually sick, just as there's a way such a thing as being physically sick. And you can be spiritually sick, and part of being spirit, spiritually sick is that you 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 lack willpower, you lack discipline, you lack drive, you lack you lack determination, and these things have to be resolved sp- spiritually, not pharmacologically. But um, you might wonder, you know, why why is there this incredible, almost religious-like faith in vaccines in In dealing with the COVID problem? And the answer is because if we are materialistic creatures, then just like animals, there's nothing that cannot be solved simply pharmacologically by injecting the right substance into our beings. That's all there is to it. So still providing the wrong-sided view of free will. You have no free will there are various mechanisms that have evolved in the human brain to make you think that you have free will, but you really don't. And this is a position that has been presented both on the academic level and also on the popularized level. And so, you know, you'll find articles on popular websites and on popular magazines, just as you will find learned papers in the fields of academia all arguing exactly the same thing. Be aware that you do not have free will. Everything you do is the automatic, instinctive consequence of some external environmental factor. Now, you can see how comforting <laughs> this is, right? Uh, do you know why I haven't succeeded? it's because of an external factor i didn't it's not as if i ever had the free will to succeed like there've been many many bad decisions in my life do you think i had any choice of course not there's no free will i was forced into those bad decisions in the past by circumstances in exactly the same way that my uh, uh, golden retriever Uh, is a a lovely dog, an exemplary creature, but he doesn't have free will. He's instinctively going to behave in certain ways. He may not know it, but I know it. I'm his owner. Oh, pardon me, his guardian. Or do I have to say parent these days? So uh, that is one viewpoint. The right viewpoint is that uh, what distinguishes human beings from every other creature on the planet, among the things that distinguish us, is that we do have free will and that each and every one of us has the ability to decide literally every moment of every day what we choose to do. Now, is there such a thing as addiction? Yeah, that makes it very much harder. There's no question. But, uh, but the, um, the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, for instance, is an organization that recognizes the spiritual factors involved in alcohol addiction, and they make sure that that plays a role. And so human connection, heaven knows, heaven knows what happened to people who are dependent on their Alcoholics Anonymous meetings during COVID lockdowns. I shudder to think that some bureaucrat actually believed that it was more important to stop the, uh, the person who's trying to escape an alcoholic addiction or cope with it at the very least. Anyways, the, the viewpoint is, and it's an uncomfortable one, I agree, it's much more comfortable to believe that there is no such thing as free will. Much more comfortable because then you don't have to take any blame for yourself. But the minute you say that, you are destroying society. The minute you take the position, as, by the way, the current zeitgeist in the United States of America is that, uh, that there is no such thing as free will, and it's so comforting to think that, you know all those bad decisions you've made in your life? You know how I teach always that today's financial problems on 99% the result of yesterday's bad decisions. Well, that's true. But now you can say to yourself, I have financial problems today because of external circumstances. I, I did everything I had to do. And whatever decisions I made, I didn't have free will. I didn't have choice. I made them because they were the inevitable, instinctive, reactions to the conditions that prevailed at the time. It was my because of my father, it was because of my mother, it was because of this or because of that. And the true doctrine of wisdom is that free will is an essential part of our makeup. And that we have to acknowledge this is hard by the way, this part part of recovery, part of transformation, is recognizing that yes, I did have free will and I did make bad decisions, and those bad decisions have bad consequences, and now I've accepted that I am responsible for myself, I'm captain of my soul, and I am going to recognize that every single thing I do, I have the choice. Now, it's not always easy, not easy, some people find it incredibly difficult to lock themselves into a schedule For some people, the simple job of sitting down on Sunday morning and working out how you're going to use every hour of the coming week that's a challenging task. It's very, very hard, emotionally hard, and uh, it's much easier at that point to say, "You know what i I can't do it i'm not I'm hardwired not to be able to do that." And at least you have to know you're lying to yourself, because the reality is, oh, yes, you can make the decision to do it. It's not going to be easy the first time you discipline yourself to do what your head tells you needs to be done. But the second time will be a little easier. And the third time after, that, well, that'll be even easier. And then little by little, that becomes who you are. None of this has to do with hard wiring. None of this has to do with not having free will. yes. And so perhaps the key thing to understand today, when I tell you that in this show we focus not so much on information, but on wisdom, and key to wisdom is understanding how the world really works. The way the world really works is that, yes, we do have free will. Every one of us has free will. Some of us have more challenges in some areas than others Um, you know there are people who do have an innate tug towards alcoholism Uh, there there is such a thing Uh, there are people who are who are pulled in a negative way so it's harder for them to make the right choices but then there are other areas in which, for you, it's easier than other people to make the right choices. So it's all a balance, and nobody would want to change lives with anybody else. It's much better to carry the burden that you have become accustomed to, that is being you. And, uh, and right at the forefront of all of these things is to realize that you have been conditioned to some extent You've been indoctrinated because this comes across in just lines on television comedies and it's books we read and it's, it's all over the place. Little by little, little by little, inexorably, you have been to some extent indoctrinated to believe that you don't really have free will. And so it takes a little bit of work, and that's what I'm dedicating today's Rabbi Daniel Lappin show to, is to all of us taking on ourselves the task this week of acknowledging to ourselves, yes, I do have free will. I am a creature touched by the finger of God, different from every other creature on the planet. I am not a cow or a cat or a camel or a kangaroo. I can make choices about my life. I do decide what to think, what to believe, and how to behave. It's not easy. It is so much more comfortable to believe that, oh, we don't have free will. But um, it's, uh, it's extraordinary because during this week in preparing for today's show, I actually read quite a lot of the material out there and there's a whole lot of it on, uh, why we don't really have free will. There's a lot of material and, uh, it's, it's very, very seductive. I'll tell you that. I mean, I could feel it myself. Um, unfortunately or fortunately, I know it's a lie and I know that human beings do have free will and moral choice. And so, uh, uh, when um, when the nuremberg trials were held in the direct aftermath of world war 2 and uh, and famous and prominent nazis were put on trial and uh, and um, and nine of them were, were many actually more than many more than nine uh, were executed and hanged the, um, the looking back now from the modern materialistic zeitgeist of today which is that there is no free will what right did those people have to be executed i mean firstly they were following orders. so on absolutely no deeper level than that they cannot be held to have been culpable but even beyond that fine human beings do not have the ability to evaluate the morality of a circumstance you are the result of your life and your experiences your events the things your parents did to you your uh, the way you were born and the way you evolved and the decisions you make are out of your control They, they just happen and so you can't call anybody a criminal you certainly can't punish criminals and that's one of the reasons that the current mood is to go light on criminals because of this Uh, deeply ingrained new idea that, no, we do not have free will. Well, we do have free will, and we do have the capacity to change the course we're on. Only people with no free will are like animals, stuck in a cage with no possible way of ever getting out. But we're human beings. We do have free will. And there is a way out. And that's why earlier on I mentioned the audio program on my website called Let Me Go. And what it highlights is three specific principles that made it possible for the Israelites to get out of slavery. And then translating those into our own lives right now. Let me just give you a, a tiny slice of one example, and that is that um, the, uh, the, the first thing the Israelites were instructed to do was something incredibly uncomfortable. They were, to, they were told to tie up a sheep, a lamb, for a few days before barbecuing it. Well, tied up sheep make a lot of noise, you know, all the noise that sheep's, sheep make and um, sheep were apparently somewhat deified by the Egyptians, and so uh, for many Israelites, this was a terrifying ordeal, because their neighbors would discover that they're tying up sheep, and that's horrible. Uh, Then they have to kill the sheep and barbecue it, not cook it in an instant pot uh, clamped down tightly, but barbecued outside so the smell of roast lamb drifts around the neighborhood. These things took enormous uh, personal courage. And so, one of the principles, and I, I lay this out at much greater length in this piece of wisdom on how to get out of your Egypt, um, is that uh, if you want to get out of your Egypt, you have to know that you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. You are going to have to do things that are not comfortable for you, and it's it's self-evident, right, because part of the reason you're in the situation you're in is because you slid into comfortable habits, and so moving into an uncomfortable zone is one of the ways you know you're doing the right thing for getting out of your Egypt, and again, Uh, In this thing, I lay it out in much greater detail, but you can download it, listen to it at your leisure, listen to it a second time at your leisure, listen to it a third time at your leisure, and then you will find yourself not only equipped informationally, because that's much less important, but more importantly, you will find yourself equipped wisdom-wise and in terms of free will, your ability to to do what needs to be done to escape your Egypt. All of that after you've listened to the audio program Let Me Go, which you will find in the store section at rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, enjoy it, and I'd love to hear from you how it's worked for you. Uh, I have a huge collection of, I, all I can call it is beautiful fan mail, of people who've written to thank me, and I keep the letters um, for... The uh, way in which this program has enabled people to get out of what they thought was literally something they were stuck with. There was just no way to deal with it. Well, there is a way to deal with it. Uh, it, It's called Egypt, and it's called getting out of Egypt. My friends, uh, that is as far as we're going to go for this week, so please, just walk around for the next few days saying to yourself, I do have free will. Yes! I do have free will. I am not a tennis ball floating down the gutter of life. I am a human being touched by the finger of God, and that means I do have free will. And it should bless you with real progress in your life and in uh, your five F's. So until we meet again next week, thanks for being part of the show. Thank you again for promoting it. Thank you for telling other folks about it. Thanks for writing and telling me what country in the world you're listening from. I love that. And um, I wish you a week of growth and excitement as you exercise your free will to improve your finances and your family and your friendships and your fitness and your faith. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin.